Well, hey, you, you all up for uh, learning a new song together? Cool, cool. Well, ready or not, we're going to do it. So Zach's going to lead us, and then we'll get to a part where we sort of echo what Zach's doing. So you sing what I'm singing once we get there, and uh, we'll learn it together. Don't sing what I'm singing. Do not, I repeat, do not attempt to sing what Zach is singing.
I think we'll keep that song around for a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> All right, you can have a seat. Is anybody a little better than they were five minutes ago? Yeah. Hey, good morning. Welcome to Southland City Church. Uh, my name is Jason, and we are honored uh, by your presence here. And we mean that uh, deeply and, and uh, soulishly and theologically and like every way you can imagine. We are honored that you're here because uh, we think that your life is a sacred gift to the world and to us, so thanks for being here today. Uh, last week, we began a conversation around sacred questions, and we just observed that often in the pages of Scripture and often in our lives, it's less when God like, gives us an ultimatum or, or a clear directive, and often when he asks a, a question that something profound and important happens in our life. Sometimes the turning points in our lives 
revolve around the questions that come at us and the ways that they excavate us, that they open us up. And so we're trying to hear some of these sacred questions from Scripture and see what they might have to say to us today. So last week, we, we started that conversation by looking at the moment when Adam and Eve are hiding from God, and he simply asked them, where are you? We, we heard that question for Adam and Eve. We heard it for Isaiah. Uh, we observed that it seems as if God is inviting, like, the whole person to show up. Your whole story, the good, the bad, the ugly, the warts, the shiny parts, just to show up. We observe that uh, sometimes we're tempted to try to clean everything up first and we keep hiding until we can get it all cleaned up or we only want to show one another the parts that are cleaned up. And God seems to be saying, I would like to work with you on the cleanup if you would just show up, all of you, the good, the bad, the ugly, we could take it from there, right? We also observe that for these characters in Scripture and probably for you and me, that there's more at stake than simply your own experience or healing or cleansing that whether it's Adam and Eve or whether it's Isaiah the prophet or you and me, like that we're here for a reason. There's a calling, there's a purpose. And that showing up is even about saying, like, here am I to do the work with you, God. Like, let's get out there and change something. Let's make something. So there's a lot at stake in the question, right? The question that we're going to look at today is a question that Jesus asks someone. And it's one of those stories that um, I find, like, terrifyingly human. <laughs> Like, it's, it's a kind of story that I think is easy to find yourself in if you just let it breathe for a moment. It feels very much like at least what it feels like to be human to me. And you see Jesus offering uh, this unexpected question to an unexpected character, and we're going to see if we can hear that question today. So we're going to turn to the Gospel of Mark, which is one of the four places in the New Testament where the, the life of Jesus is told, right? You've got Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. We're going to look at Mark's version of an encounter between Jesus and a beggar. Uh, let's start here. Then they came to Jericho. This is Jesus and the people that are following Jesus. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet, and he came to Jesus. Well, uh, first of all, a little bit of context. This is uh, sort of late in Mark's gospel. So Jesus' movement has been building for a little while now. He's been gaining followers and fans, and he's about to be on his way to Jerusalem where this final confrontation is going to happen that's going to lead to his death and his resurrection. So there's a lot of momentum around this thing. He's got an entourage around him, his followers, his fans, right? And it strikes me that, first of all, it's understandable that the entourage would tell the beggar to shut up. Because, like, this is an important movement, and Jesus is at the center of the movement. He's the important person. And when a beggar cries out, while you're trying to get this thing on its way, it probably looks to them like a distraction, like a diversion from what they're here for, right? And by the way, like, if he's, if he's really just a beggar, then he doesn't really need the head guy's attention, right? If he just needs some spare change, maybe somebody else in the movement can give this guy what he needs. But this guy keeps crying out for Jesus, ignoring them, telling him to shut up, and Jesus eventually asks him to come stand before him. Now, I want to observe this is not the only place in the stories of Jesus where the people closest to Jesus get Jesus wrong. The beggars crying out to Jesus and the people around Jesus seem to think that Jesus would want nothing to do with this guy. 
This is not the only place in the Gospels where the people around Jesus, like the people on Team Jesus, like the people that would be wearing Jesus jerseys, right? Like the people in like Jesus Incorporated, the people who are right around Jesus get Jesus wrong. And the way that they often get Jesus wrong is they think that he would want nothing to do with people that it turns out he's actually quite taken with. I just want to call that out for a couple of reasons. First of all, because some of us are on Team Jesus, like some of us have the jersey, like we're part of Jesus Incorporated, whatever. And we are in danger of getting Jesus wrong and thinking we know what the filters are and who's in and who's out. And we might get it wrong. I think it's just really helpful to observe that the people who have the most proximity to Jesus, the most history with Jesus, are susceptible to getting Jesus wrong and excluding the people that he's really quite interested in being with. So that's for all of us who maybe identify with Team Jesus, right? But it's also for anybody who's been in the position of a beggar and who has had Team Jesus tell you that Jesus wants nothing to do with you. If you've ever been on the outside looking in, if you've ever been on the receiving end of people from Jesus Incorporated or whatever you want to call it telling you that you're on the outside looking in, I just want to observe they might be the ones that have it wrong. And Jesus might be quite taken with you, quite interested in you, interested in bringing you to the center, hearing your story, listening to what it is that is pouring out of your mouth. I just want to call that out for a moment before we go any further here, right? Now, um, if you're walking by a beggar and a beggar is begging, I think it's natural to assume that you know some things about that person. Because that's like a character, right? You can create a caricature around a character and be like, oh, I know what that role is on our streets, on our sidewalks, in our world. They're begging. They want money, right? It's easy to assume that you know what a beggar wants because they're begging for it, which is, just makes the next moment in this story interesting because Jesus doesn't assume that he knows that. Uh, watch what happens next. Jesus brings this man in front of him, and he simply asks, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Uh, I even imagine that some of the people around Jesus are embarrassed for Jesus at this point because they're like, uh, Jesus, he's a beggar. Give him money, right? Everybody knows what a beggar wants. But Jesus assumes that there's more to this person, that there's something going on under the surface that he wants to call out, that he wants to pull out. And so he brings the beggar in front of him, and he simply asks, what do you want me to do for you? And at first, it looks a little embarrassing to Jesus because it's obvious what the man wants. But you sit with this story for a moment, and to me, it's actually embarrassing for everybody else who's written this man off as a one-dimensional character in a story rather than a person with a story, rather than a person with a complex inner world, a three-dimensional whole person with different desires that are driving him. And maybe some of those desires are even sacred. So Jesus pulls the man in front of him, and he says, what do you want me to do for you? And the sacred question that we want to take out of this moment to make it even a little more simple is simply this, what do you want? Just that, what do you want? I've come to believe this is um, one of the most terrifying, beautiful, holy, profound questions that God asks us as we walk through our lives. What do you want? To talk about this question is to talk about desire, right? And desire can be a scary, dark, difficult, confusing thing, right? I mean, desire, like you start paying attention to desire, and it's like you could open up a bit of a Pandora's box inside, right? Because there's lots and lots of different kinds of desires going on inside us. It's a, uh, you might even say that like to be human is to be a wanting animal, right? 
Like, the, like to be human is to have all these desires that are driving us. And some of us have desires that we know are driving us. And some of us have desires that we don't even realize are driving us. Some of us have desires that have been with us from very, very early on, needs that weren't met, things that we were begging the world to give us because we needed them and they just didn't come our way. And we spent the rest of our life trying to chase those things down in sideways or indirect sort of ways. Some of us get up every morning thinking we know what we want and we try to chart a straight line for it. Others of us feel lost in want. But if you, if you don't like think about what it means to be a wanting person, you're probably going to be far removed from what it means to be human. And this question kind of breaks all that open, calls it to the surface. It's just God asking, what do you actually want? Now, I suspect one of the reasons this question can be really uncomfortable for us is there are all sorts of things that we want that aren't worth wanting, Right? There's such a thing as unworthy desire. There's such a thing as destructive desire. There's such a thing as wanting the things that are bad for us and bad for the world, right? There's such a thing, to use a Bible word, as sinful desire. There's such a thing as unreliable desires that are too small for the lives that we're here to live with. And by the way, Jesus asked this question, what do you want, twice in Mark chapter 10. And in this moment with the beggar, we're going to see that there's this really sacred, beautiful, powerful thing that he wants. But just a few verses earlier, Jesus asks some of his followers what they want. And it's a moment where this really unworthy, destructive, worthless desire comes out. So let me go back just a few verses. And James and John are hanging out with Jesus. These are a couple of his core people, right? James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come to Jesus. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And so here's that exact same question. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. And they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. And Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. I take this moment to be a moment where uh, desire is really unworthy. It's not, it's not the right thing for them to be aiming their lives for, not the right thing for them to be asking for. You don't know what you're asking. Sometimes the gift of the question, what do you want? Is it, it allows you to bring to the surface some unworthy, some small, petty desire that's been driving you. And once you name it, once you see it for what it is, you might be a little less driven by it, right? So these guys uh, have been with Jesus for quite a while at this point in the story, and they come to him, and they say, we want you to do something for us. And he says, tell me what you want. And they say, we want the glory, man. We want the power. We want the prestige. We want to be the top of the org chart. We want this thing to be good for us. And he says, you don't know what you're asking. I, almost as if to say, do you hear what's coming out of your mouth right now? <laughs> and like, I, I wonder for how many of us, if, if, if Jesus met us right now and said, what do you want? What are the desires that are driving your life right now? If we got honest and we named it, some of us might name some unworthy desires, some petty things, some things that are bad for us or bad for the world. And it might be really good to just admit that those desires are in the driver's seat. Because once we name them, we might be able to do something about them, right? However, um, Jesus doesn't give up on asking this question, right? Because that was just a few verses earlier. And then Jesus meets the beggar. And again, he asks a person, what do you want? Which, which makes me think that Jesus knows that the answer to bad desire isn't no desire. The answer to bad desire is better desire, deeper desire, truer desire. Like get past the surface level ego-driven wants to the thing that your soul is asking for. And maybe if you could get past the surface level ego-driven wants to the thing that your soul is asking for, you might actually tap into something reliable, something God might want to work with, something he could do something with, right? There's a writer named C.S. Lewis who writes a book called The Weight of Glory. And he talks about desire and how we need better, deeper desire, not 
not no desire, and he says it like this. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. So if Jesus is the one who keeps asking, what do you want, even though sometimes humanity comes back with worthless, ego-driven, surface-level desires, he keeps asking, maybe it's because he's, he's, he's inviting us to tap into deeper, truer, more beautiful desires, to get, to get underneath those sort of toxic things that drive us every day, to, to the true compass inside you that knows what you are actually here for. And once you start wanting the better things, the deeper things, once you realize that those desires are in there too, you might be able to move toward them, right? Like, like some in this community just need to like realize that you actually do want the marriage more than you want the one night stand that'll blow up that promise. That what you want most is actually that, that beautiful, long-lived covenant that you have made more than what you want in the moment of a late night, Right? Some of us here, um, if, you, if you actually listen for a moment, maybe if you let Jesus interrogate you with this question for a moment, like you might realize that all the way deep down inside there, what you actually want is the safety and belonging of neighbors who are not safe and don't experience belonging. That's actually what the heart wants for the world, more than it wants to cling to a status quo that's working for some of us but not for others. Like I actually think if you sat with Jesus for a moment and you let him just ask you, what do you want? If you kept listening to your own heart, you might discover that below the ego-driven, small, unworthy desires, there are better, truer, deeper things. And this question might woo them, might call them out of you for a moment, right? Some of us, I think if we actually listened to our hearts, if we let this question interrogate us, if we let Jesus use this question to go all the way in, we might discover that all the way down in there, what we really want is to live generous lives, and that we actually want that more than we want to keep up with the Joneses, right? But the problem, of course, is our desires keep getting colonized and overtaken by, like, marketing and messages and all these things that keep trying to tell us what we want, and they can sort of take over the course of our lives, right? You get away for a moment with Jesus, and you let him look you in the eye and simply ask, what, what do you actually want? The first things we, we might say to respond to that, we... As the words come out of our mouths, we might be like, oh, that's kind of small. That's kind of petty. That's maybe kind of selfish. It's not worth much. But that's okay, because he might ask you again, like he does in Mark. He asks again to another person. He might ask you again. He might say, what do you want? And you sift through some of these unworthy wants and you might discover that underneath them, that within yourself, there is, a, there is a soulish longing for something good or beautiful or true. And I just can't help but think that Jesus is asking this question because he wants us to help us get back to that. And by the way, what I'm starting to learn is once you actually know what you want, if you could just name it, however simple it might be, if you actually can name what you want, all sorts of other really beautiful, profound, important things can happen. In uh, early June, uh, one of my best friends in the world took his life. And we really didn't see it coming. And so about a week later, I found myself the night before his funeral trying to figure out what I was supposed to say 
as I spoke at his funeral. And I felt more lost around uh, Alex's death than I have at a lot of things in my life. Uh, I had just been there with him performing his wedding ceremony uh, a year prior. And uh, when he took his life, his wife had their baby boy in her womb, and they were looking forward uh, to building their family. And I knew that it was going to be a very big funeral with um, a lot of people that I didn't know. And I knew that a lot of people would probably want to be able to say something about Alex, but uh, for whatever reason, I was the person in the position to stand in front of that room and speak. And I remember being uh, in the upstairs of my friend's house that I was staying in in Nashville that week. And the lights were off and it was very dark. And I usually like know when I've got to speak, I usually like have some sense of where I'm gonna go with things. Like, I don't feel at home in a lot of settings in life, but I feel at home talking. <laughs> and then this happened and um, I just remember feeling absolutely uh, lost. And I had this blank page in front of me that needed to have words on it so I could stand up the next day and say something, right? And this isn't rocket science, this isn't quantum physics. It actually was remarkably simple, but I just remember like crumbling and praying and hearing this question. What do you want, Jay? And again, it's not rocket science, it wasn't profound, um, but, but and I, don't, I don't often like pray out loud by myself, but I found myself praying out loud. And I said, I just want to do a good job. Just that, I just want to do a good job. I just want to say something that serves his wife and that honors him. And while I don't think you can make a lot of sense out of suicide, I just want to say something that helps a little bit, because there's like a thousand people at this funeral who don't know what the hell to do with this. And something about just, just hearing the question, what do you want, and just saying, I, I just want to do a good job, this little burst of clarity broke in, like a bit of a compass for me, like in, in the middle of a really dark night. And I found myself moving toward words um, that I, certainly weren't perfect, but I felt like I think this will help. It was just that. It was just, it was just, I'm lost. I don't know how I'm going to make it through tomorrow. And then the question I hear is, well, what do you want, Jay? And just to be able to say out loud, I think I just want to, I just want to do a good job. I just want this to be helpful in some way. Um, became like the starting point of finding my way through that week. You get clear on what you want, even if it's not rocket science, even if it's kind of simple, you get clear on what you want. Things, I think, actually do start to happen. For one thing, your imagination can then serve your best desires, right? Like, we all have imaginations. We all have this thing in our brains that lets us create futures in the world, right? We all have imaginations, and far too many of our imaginations have been colonized by superficial desires. And so we can, we can think really creatively. We can solve lots of problems out of how to get the bigger house or how to get more money in the bank. And by the way, I'm not saying those are inherently bad, but what if you got clear about the deepest, truest things that you wanted? You might find out that your imagination can serve those best, most beautiful desires, but your imagination needs to take its cue from your desires. So maybe you need to get clear on what you actually, truly, deeply want. And then you find out that all these other things God has given you, like a brain, can then become in service 
to the thing that you actually want, right? You know what else will happen when you get clear on what you want? Sometimes people are ready to help you, but they can't help you if you don't know where you want to go. You ever been there with someone you love? Like someone you love is maybe asking you to help, but the fact is you don't know how to help because they don't really know where they want to go. So if they would just tell you what I really, really want is to go here or there, you because you love them because you're their friend, you could say, great, I can help you get there now that I know where you want to go, right? But a lot of us have been wondering why nobody's helping us, not realizing we don't know what we want. So they're sitting there ready to jump in, wanting to help. And we just got to get clear on what it is that this life is actually trying to take us toward. You get clear on what you want, things might start to happen, right? You get clear on what you want, and in my experience, it can feel a little bit like going from lost to found. Simply knowing, like, what you want at the deepest levels can be a little bit like going from lost to found. It's interesting the way that Jesus responds to this man's request. Let me go back to Mark here and show you what happens next. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Turns out the beggar wasn't just asking for money, right? The beggar was asking for wholeness. The beggar was asking to have his life put back together. The beggar was asking to be given the same chance that everybody else had to to make their own life for themselves. The beggar wanted to see. And Jesus said, go, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Now, hang out with this for a moment. What's happened in this story? A beggar has cried out, have mercy on me. He's been asked by Jesus, what do you want? What desire is driving you right now? What's inside there that is causing you to cry out right now? He asked the beggar, what do you want? And the beggar names this profound desire for healing, to have his life put back together. And Jesus, in response to desire, in response to a clear picture of what this man wants, in response to desire, Jesus calls this thing faith. And he says, it has healed you. This is a story about desperate desire, but Jesus says it's a story about faith. This is a story about the wanting that comes from the deepest place in this man's life being spoken. And Jesus says, I call that faith. Now, I I named that because I said a second ago, sometimes knowing what you want can feel a little bit like going from lost to found. And I say it because, like, I know that in the year 2019 and with the lives that we experience and the world that we see and all the questions that are coming at us, there's a number of us who find that sometimes faith is hard to hold on to. And there's some here even that feel like faith slipped out of their hands entirely, and you're, you're wondering, like, how would you even begin to get it back? And if Jesus, like, here's this man's desire, this deep, raw, honest wanting, if he hears this desire and says, I call that faith, then it may be that for some of us, the path like back toward faith or into new faith or new kinds of faith or a new life of faith, that thing that you want to have put back together, it might be that the starting point for that is just to get clear on what you actually deeply, truly want. Not the wants that live at the surface, but the wants that are all the way deep down in there. I think some of us would discover that if, if we gave ourselves permission to be honest about those things and name those things, that it would be a little bit like God there with us saying, that actually looks a little bit like faith to me. 
Like, do you want there to be something behind all of this that we see that's true and good and beautiful? I actually think the soul wants that. I think that's a reliable desire. I think it actually tells us something true. And if that's what you want all the way down inside there, then maybe that's something like faith for you, that you want that, right? Do you want a world that is just, where things are held together rightly, where people who are unsafe are made safe, where wrongs are put back together and fixed? Like, do you want that? And is that want so intense within you that it's uncomfortable and it's tempting to distract yourself from it? It's easier to just watch more Netflix. Because if you really listen to that, it's actually kind of uncomfortable. But, but what if that wanting, what if that wanting is the start of something like faith? What if that craving, that hunger, Jesus, by the way, he blesses that. He says, do you have that, that aching desire inside for things to be made right? I bless you and you will be filled. That's how he begins his great teaching in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. It's possible that there is some deep wanting within you that if you would name it, Jesus might say, that sounds like faith to me. Like from that, you might be able to go somewhere. You might be able to work that out a little bit. This man, of course, ends up following Jesus along the road. He's like, I want in on this thing. I want to jump in on this thing. I want to, I want to follow the one who had mercy on me, who saw me as a whole person, not just a beggar character by the side of the road. I want to follow the one who assumed that I'm a three-dimensional person with sacred desires for healing. And I want to follow the one who saw my desire and said I celebrate it and I call it faith. I want to, I want to press further into that, right? I suspect that one of the reasons that Jesus is asking, what do you want, is that he knows that from that question, he might woo some kind of faith for us. He might kind of call that out. He might stir up our very, very best by asking us this question. Pope John Paul II said something like this a while ago when he said this at the World Youth Day. It's Jesus that you seek when you dream of happiness. He's waiting for you when nothing else you find satisfies you. He's the beauty to which you are so attracted. It's he who provoked you with that thirst for fullness that will not let you settle for compromise. It's he who urges you to shed the masks of a false life. It's he who reads in your heart your most genuine choices, the choices that others try to stifle. It's Jesus who stirs in you the desire to do something great with your lives, the will to follow an ideal, the refusal to allow yourselves to be ground down by mediocrity, the courage to commit yourselves humbly and patiently to improving yourselves and society, making the world more human and more fraternal. It's like with this question, he is stirring you up to your very best. And so, of course, he asks, what do you want? Because he knows the power of this question. By the way, the beggar isn't the only person who does some wanting in this story. And I want to observe this too. The beggar is not the only person who does some wanting in this story. Who else does some wanting? Jesus. When he hears the beggar and he says, I want him here. Jesus does some wanting in these stories too. And again and again, what he wants is you. 
and me. God does a lot of wanting in the stories of the scriptures. And again and again, it seems that what God wants is you and me. He wants with the, with the wanting of a lover, the wanting of a father or a mother. He wants with the fierce kind of wanting of family that says, I love you and I, I want you close. I want you to know that you belong. God does some wanting in these stories too. And so all the way back to the beginning when team Jesus finds themselves excluding this person and trying to keep Jesus on track and Jesus has to fight through team Jesus to get to the people that he wants. I just hope that we hear this as a community today. We aren't the the only ones who do wanting in this world. God does some wanting too and it appears again and again and again from these stories that what he wants is you. Maybe let that love uh, sit on you heavy for a moment. Let it stir whatever it stirs, but God does some wanting, and what he seems to want is you. I'd love to um, just give us a moment to, to reflect on this. Um, so call it prayer, call it meditation, call it just contemplation, whatever. Call it a break from the sermon. I don't care. Um, We'd love to just take a moment to see if we can find ourselves in this story and pray through that together. And so uh, if you'd like to join me, you might want to close your eyes. Or um, Sometimes it helps me to actually hold out my hands. It's just a way of saying I'm open. helps me sometimes to put my feet flat on the floor. And then uh, I'm just going to offer some prompts, just some questions that maybe help us find ourselves in this story, believing that um, there might be more work to be done here beyond my own words, right? So uh, if you'd like, uh, join me in this moment. And first I'll pray. I'll simply ask God that you help us find ourselves in the story of Jesus and the beggar. I pray that you would help us to hear this sacred question, what do we want? Now as you imagine, uh, you're a part of this moment just outside Jericho. Maybe you're part of the crowd and you hear this sort of uncomfortable intrusion. You hear this beggar crying out, son of David, have mercy on me. And you're a little embarrassed by it. Maybe you're just trying to keep things in order, trying to keep things polite. And so maybe, maybe you're the one who tells the beggar to shut up. I know I have been far too many times. If that's any of us today, let's take comfort in the fact that Jesus doesn't waste his time condemning the people who told the beggar to be quiet. But what does he do? He asks those very same people to go get the beggar and bring him in. And so if any of us have been the ones to dismiss a beggar by the side of the road, maybe the gift today, maybe the hope is that Jesus is asking us to be the ones that go bring them in. Or maybe we are the beggar. Maybe you find yourself there with that person in this story. I don't know what the blindness means for you. Maybe it's been just some sense of brokenness. 
Maybe it's your own, maybe it's the brokenness of the world that you see. Maybe you've had a really hard time seeing hope anymore. Maybe you've had a really hard time seeing a future for yourself or for your loved ones, for your neighborhood, for our city, for our world. Maybe that's what you're having a hard time seeing. Maybe there's been a season in your life where you felt that you could see God, sense his presence, know that God is here, and then for some reason you lost that sight. Maybe you feel like you've been blind from birth and it just seems that other people have had visions that you've never had, been able to see things you've never seen. I don't know how long it's been, but I suspect it's been long enough that you'd be tempted to give up. that you would take those deepest, truest, most sacred desires within you and try to lock them away because what good do they do? They won't be fulfilled. So maybe you've been tempted to stop hoping, stop believing, stop trusting, stop yearning, stop reaching forward. Maybe you've been tempted to just shove all of that down to a corner of your heart where you never have to deal with it again, and yet it's still there. Maybe there's something about this moment. You're there and this rabbi walks by. And you've probably seen other teachers, other leaders, other movements come and go. But maybe for some reason, something inside you tells you to trust this in a way that you haven't trusted anything in a long, long time. And so there's something like an awakening that happens within you. And perhaps your own voice surprises you when you hear it cry out, Jesus, son of David, rabbi, teacher, have mercy on me. Pay attention to me. See me, see my story, see my longings, my desires. And yeah, for a moment the crowd tells you to shut up and yet you notice that the rabbi has actually turned his ear toward you and, and he call, calls out and says, bring him here, bring her here. And so now you find yourself standing there with Jesus. And very few people have seen you all the way and yet somehow you know he is. Even though you're still blind, somehow you know that he sees you. The crowd grows quiet because they don't know what Jesus is up to here. And Jesus simply asks, what do you want me to do for you? This sacred question falls upon your life and cracks it open. And you hear God asking, what do you want? Maybe for a moment your mind flutters back and forth, bouncing off of a thousand superficial, unworthy things. But something about this moment and 
way that you sense God present, something about all of that, you are able to hear for the first time in a long time those deeply hidden desires that have been locked away, the ones that you gave up on, the ones that were too naive to do any good in the real world, desires for justice, for healing, for a family to be put back together or a neighborhood to be put back together, for a vision to be found. You tap into that locked away place inside and both with terror and hope, you open your mouth and you simply tell him what you want. Maybe you're a little embarrassed by what comes out of your mouth just as you're tempted to walk it back, to tell him never mind, just as you're tempted to hang your head, he says that your desire is something like faith. And he says your willingness to name this will somehow contribute to your healing. I don't know if the healing will be in a moment or if it'll be a long time from now. I don't know if it'll happen quickly or slowly. But he hears your desire, he calls it faith, and he says healing will happen because of what you have named. Maybe you find yourself like this man, realizing that you would like to follow Jesus, that you would like to just go further into this thing. And so, vision newly restored, you get on your feet and you start walking, knowing that there's a new kind of life in front of you, the one that you have dreamed of. close with a chorus. Uh, would you stand with us as you're able? We'll just sing this simple chorus that reminds us that God is the one wanting to be back with us, to bring us home. It just simply says, your heart won't stop coming after me. It goes like this. Your heart won't stop coming after me. Your heart won't stop coming after me. Your heart won't stop coming after, coming after me. Sing those words together, your heart. Your heart won't stop coming after me.
So may you hear Jesus calling you to the center. Though others may have told you to shut up or stay to the side. Even if you can't see him, may you sense that he sees you. A whole person, a whole story. And that he asks you this simple, profound question, what do you want? May that question take you all the way through the ego and the small things into the deepest, truest, most beautiful things. May those desires be something like faith. May we find that our faith is healing us. And may we sense it calling us to follow him wherever he goes. And may grace and peace be with you. Amen. Love you guys. See you next week.